When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Were super necessary. Hello and welcome back to Super Necessary. Today I'm delighted to say that we're joined by the voice of Cage Warriors, the play-by-play announcer, Mr. Brad Wharton. How are you doing, Brad? You okay? Yeah, good. Good. Thanks for having us on, guys. No problem. Pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, so I'm just going to jump straight into it. We've got a lot of questions for you, so uh, it's going to be a good one. So first of all, can you just let people know what was your introduction to the MMA world? Um... I've always enjoyed fighting, like, you know, since being a very young kid, I used to watch, um, you know, Frank Bruno, people like that. Um, Got into sumo wrestling when it used to be on Channel 4, like in the late 80s, early 90s. And then, you know, like many people, like, you know, young lads used to watch a lot of pro wrestling. And Ken Shamrock turned up in 1996 and they showed a couple of clips from the UFC. And I was like, oh, that that was kind of cool. Not long after that, I moved to Holland, which is a huge kickboxing country. So, um, you know, you can't move in Holland for like, you go to a video shop and there'd be whole sections of kickboxing and this other stuff called free fight, which was like early MMA. It was almost like um, Japanese rings rules style MMA that a lot of the Dutch karate guys and kickboxers did. And there was a UFC three video there as well. So saw Ken Shamrock on the front, picked it up, took it home. And, and that was uh, that was it. And now I shout the violence for a living. So here we are. <laughs> <clears throat> did you ever do when you were into Zumo, did you ever try to get yourself into one of those of these sacks that they put on? <laughs> you can imagine Brad Wharton in, in one of those Zumo sacks. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I've not, but I really want to. I think if I ever get married, that's what the stag is going to be. It's going to be uh, those, big, those big inflatable Sumo suits. That's a great idea. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. You're welcome. <laughs> I don't even need an inflatable one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, next question. And can, can you remember your your first time doing commentary? Like, for you, was the any nerves? No fans would be listening. Um, my first, the first ever time I commentated, there was no nerves because I was really, really hungover, and it was all that I could think about at the time. Um, I, I basically gone to uh, a friend's show. It was his first ever show. And he rang me like three days before and said, oh, I've got no commentators. Do you want to do it? Like just for a laugh. Like I'll pay you in beer. So I think. So I was like, yeah, sure. Fine. 
Uh, went out the night before, got absolutely smashed. Had to drive from Cambridge to Manchester the next day, just absolutely hanging. It was an absolute shambles. The guy who recorded it ran off with the footage. So thankfully, it's never seen the light of day. Um, but all I could sort of think about afterwards was whatever I do next, it's not going to be that bad. So <laughs> I think it, it, it kind of gave me a boost in a way. Um, but no, there's always nerves. Like I think anyone who, who does something like this and says they're not nervous beforehand, they're not taking it seriously. Uh, um, I find I found it a lot easier to just jump on at regional show and you know just talk shit over twenty five amateur fights than you know I do now. Even though I'm, you know I've been with Cage Royce for nearly ten years, but you know the nerves still go, especially when uh, you know you're about to go live and the count is ticking down. And even with the um, you know you, you would you would think like in the lockdown period when the, the arenas have been empty, it'd be a bit easier because you you know there's, you've not got three thousand people staring at you. It was terrifying. Because the room's just silent and everyone's staring at you. So I was, uh, I was, I was quaking in my boot. Yeah, I would have thought having the empty arenas would have probably it's good, made you know, it. Like once you get into it, the nerves become like a bit of adrenaline. Yeah, uh, I was just saying. I think for me, I think the empty arenas would probably make it worse because every little thing you do is picked up on because there's no one else there. So I think with the crowd there, if you make a little bit of a, a mistake, no one's really going to pick up on it. But if it's empty, everyone notices. Yeah, hundred percent. Like you know, there's nowhere to hide when you know there's only like twenty people in the entire room. It's like you're just sitting in a big empty cave and everyone's staring at you. It's pretty weird, but you know, hopefully, things cross those days behind us now. I think so. Obviously, you, you remember your your first events. Do you actually remember obviously being hungover and stuff? Do you remember any of the calls that you made? Might you be like, oh, that I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly like I can barely even remember like some of the guys who fought. Like, and I, I know a few guys who fought on that first card because they fought on like the subsequent FCC cards, and I'm still involved with with FCC mm. today. Um, but with the footage being stolen, I, I've never been able to look back at it. So I think, you know, maybe whoever that guy is who stole the footage, I need to buy him a drink probably because he's probably <laughs> done me a massive favour. Right. Wouldn't you like to see that footage just to see what it's like? I, I, think, I think I probably would now, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I, I think a lot of people who do commentary, like they hate listening to themselves back. And, I, and I'm the same. Like, I, you know, I, I do watch him back sort of on the Monday or Tuesday just to... Yeah, just just to see how it was, but you know, you find yourself like properly cringing. I think like everyone's their own worst critic as well. Mm. So I'm sat there thinking, oh shit, that was bad, that was bad, that was bad. Whereas someone else probably wouldn't notice a lot of it. But you know, it, it's it's good to go back to that early stuff. You know, like for example, we've got Don Wooding now as the Cage Warriors bantamweight champion. He fought on FCC as an amateur like six seven years ago against Connor Hignett, which is a great fight. Mm. Went and watched it back, and I was like. Man, that was terrible. That was terrible. Like you could tell, I had about six pints, and <laughs> just like, no, I can't do, can't do that anymore. Um, so oh, like, could be a bit professional we, these days. <laughs> <laughs> Only a little bit. Uh, <laughs> um, so we've also had in the past, we've had uh, Michael Chavello and Mitch Chilson on, um, obviously the commentators for one championship, um. And we sort of got their opinion on this. For you, what does it take to be a great commentator? What what do you need to be doing to be successful in that world? I think the first thing is you have to really, really love it. 
um, because there's, you know, there's precious few opportunities available and, you know, there's not a lot of people out there willing to give you a helping hand because there's so few opportunities available, you know. Um, so you've got to really love it and you've got to understand that, uh, you know, you're going to have to do a lot of hard work, a lot of travel, put a lot into it for, ve for very little reward. So I think first and foremost, it's got to be a passion project. And I think, you know, if you don't really love it, that's going to be really apparent with the work you do. You know, you, you, at the end of the day, your job is to, you know, tell the stories of the people in the cage, sell it to people, entertain people, inform people. If you don't care about it, why would anyone watching care about it? So that that's super important. You know, and I think you've got to, as well as kind of having the knowledge and, and the work ethic and everything as well, you've got to be able to articulate it. You know, you, you've got to be confident in, with speaking and You've got to be able to think fast. Um, but yeah, I think more than anything else, like if, if you genuinely love it, you can learn the other stuff. Yeah. Uh, one question that I didn't ask last time, but I think would, would be a valid one. Obviously, with the context in UFC, some of them have been called out for being biased. How, how do you keep like, bias aside? You know what I mean? When you call a fight, you might have a fighter from where you're from who's fighting and how do you keep that bias aside and call it as, you know, the MMA fight that it is? It, it's tough, you know. Um, I've commentated fights, you know, that I've had very good friends in, guys that, you know, I, I've not trained for a long time, but back when I did, you know, guys that, that I used to train with. Um, and, and it's rough, you know. Like, especially if, you know, you're, you're experienced. Um I think at the end of the day, you know, you, you've got to be professional about it. You know, it is a job. You've got to treat it as a job. And there's plenty of time afterwards to go and find that person and be like, you know, what were you doing or are you OK? Um, and, you know, it, it all comes down to that, you know, that thing like, you know, do, do you love it enough to give it the respect that it deserves? You know, I, I love this sport. I'm not going to go and make a mock of it by being biased towards someone or getting upset when my mate loses or my teammate loses or or something like that um you know it's it, it's that old saying isn't it from the cypress hill song it's a fun job but it's still a job yeah yeah that's amazing um <clears throat> you know, the next one then you know you've done quite a lot of a lot of articles for various mma websites can you just talk about your love for writing in, in general or what, when when did that start um i I've always enjoyed writing from, from being really, really young. I, I always loved English at school. Um, when I was a little kid, I used to um, I used to read a lot and I used to write like, my own stories from being like, you know, sort of seven, eight years old. Just, I, I wrote a whole book once about a chicken with a motorbike. It was brilliant. Um, <laughs> you know, and J.K. Rowling's making billions of Harry Potter and I'm, I'm, I'm sat here, uh, you know, with, without my chicken motorbike money. It's, it's a disgrace. Um, but yeah, I just I always loved it. You know, I always kind of liked that sort of like creative outlet. Um, so it's something I kind of, you know, I did through school. I enjoyed, I enjoyed writing like essays in English and history and stuff. Um, and then I suppose like I, I used to write a lot on the forums, like back in the day before Facebook and Twitter with things like all the MMA lot used to hang out on Sherdog and the Underground and stuff. And, you know, I used to, used to do a lot of posting there and, you know, do a lot of like quite lengthy posts and threads and stuff. Um, and then someone approached me from a, from a website, the forum I used to post on and said, oh, do you fancy doing like a blog or, or, or whatever? So it, it kind of started from there and just did it more and more and more. And then ended up a few years later um, 
working for the Daily Mirror covering MMA for them. Um, so it's, it's just, it's, it's something I really enjoy. I, I like telling stories. I like telling other people's stories. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, it's just fun. And like, you know, I think, I think with anything in life, if you can, you know, take something that you enjoy to a stage where you can make a living from it, then fair play to you. Yeah. Do, you, do you think you benefited at all when you say you were writing for the Daily Mirror, uh, Daily Mirror covering their MMA? I suppose at the time there probably wasn't that many people actually covering MMA, especially in newspapers. I mean, it, you used to get like a little tiny square in the sports section towards the end of it, and that was it, covering MMA. And that was only if it was like a British fighter fighting in the UFC, and that was it. Uh, so do you think there was a benefit in that at all for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, sort of. I think I was writing for the Mirror like 2011, 2012. And, you know, a lot of the guys that I sort of came up with, like guys who I sort of started when I, when I started writing, we all started off as like bloggers and, you know, pretend journalists and that, you know. And, you know, I look around today and I uh, see guys like Ben Cartledge, you judge Ricky Wright, an international MC. Like we all started together as like bloggers and pretend journalists and stuff. And there just weren't people doing it. So I guess we kind of got a lot of those opportunities by virtue of the fact that, you know, when the mirror started saying, like, oh, we're going to expand our pro wrestling blog to include MMA, who's writing about MMA? Well, there's only like 10 of us doing it. So we kind of got stuff by default, really. But, you know, just ride it till the wheel falls off, don't you? That's it. Um, so, just stepping away from MMA for a moment. Uh, are we right in saying that you like to DJ as well? I do, yeah. I'm really bad, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am the absolute epitome of all the gear, no idea. That's me. <laughs> so uh, what, what's your DJ name, then? Have you got one? Uh, DJ Rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm not even kidding. I, 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 you know... I, I want to be like, I want to be honest, like I am a bedroom DJ, you know, it's just, it's just me and not in the misses, basically. Um, <laughs> I am, I am going to try and record one day, but I love music. Like I, I, I spend so much time listening to music and growing up in Europe, obviously dance music was massive house and trance and stuff. Um, so I've always kind of big into that. And, and, and I, I do like a lot of electronic music. And a few years ago, I thought, you know what, why not? I'm just going to get a, a little, you know, you can get a DJ controller for like two, 300 quid now. So, mm. I got a really basic entry level one and then did what I always do, which is get into something for a couple of weeks and then ended up spending like 800 quid on like a professional fucking setup. Um, <laughs> didn't know what any of it did. Got rid of it after a year, but I think about, about a year or two ago, I got myself another set. Um, and I'm just, yeah, just, just trying to practice really. Like it's good fun. Like I say, I'm, I'd be sat listening to the music anyway. So, you know, might, I might as well uh, have a go at actually spinning some myself. Do you think um do you think in the future you might you might catch up to what's his name? DJ Mikey B, is it? Michael Brisbane. <laughs> man, I've seen him on the vinyl, man. He's good. He's really good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what 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 I've decided, like my ultimate goal is is to uh force Cage Warriors to let me do like because like when we do the shows in London, we've got a really good DJ there and it's because everyone's like in the pit, it's a really good like party atmosphere. And they let Paddy G DJ once between uh, the prelims and the main card. So that's my like end goal for DJ Rubbish is to uh, do a do a fifteen minute set between Cage Warriors fights. Nice, look forward to in, it. In his, in his suit and tie and everything. <laughs> we're, we're here for it. Yeah. We're, we're looking forward to it. You like the next Daft Punk? 
Um, yeah, daft is probably the right word, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just to make you aware that there's a bit of d- delay in the video. Um, so sometimes you might like speak and you're still speaking. It's just there's a bit of delay, so we apologise for that. Um, well, moving on to the next question. So obviously you've been play-by-play commentator for Cage Warriors for years. Can you just talk a bit about their growth and for you, why you believe Cage Warriors isn't watched by as many as it should be? Well, you know, Cage Warriors has always been part of UK MMA. You know, the the, the first show was, what, 2002? Mm. Um, you know, which, which was really when the first sort of proper MMA shows in the UK was starting. Obviously, it's been through many different hands over the years and different companies have owned it, different people have run it. Um, but it's always been there. It's always been a constant and it's always been kind of, you know, what I see as like the best of, of UK and European MMA. Um, you know, you look at the guys like Dan Hardy, who was a multiple time Cage Warriors champion, had some of his toughest and best fights on Cage Warriors. Um, obviously, the current regime has been in now for, uh, nearly 12 years. I think Graham Boylan took over in 2010. Um, and I don't think anyone can deny what Cage Warriors has done since that time. Mm. You know, you, obviously, we always bang on about how many people have sent to the UFC, but it's a fact, right? You can't argue with it. Mm. Um, I think any, anyone really, any, any you know, young fighter who's a highly regarded prospect, you know, if, if you're still in that development phase and you want to take that next step from fighting on the regional scene to get into the UFC, there's no better place to do it than Cage Warriors. And there's a proven track record there. And I think, you know, more than anything else, the, the team at Cage Warriors, guys like Ian Dean, guys like Graham, they really do care about the athletes. Like, you know, they're not there trying to exploit people, trying to make a quick buck on the back of people. They're giving people the right fights to bring them on at the right speed uh, and to, to get them in that place where they can compete when they get to the UFC. You know, we've seen guys go from the regional circuit straight to the UFC and they've just not been ready and it's very very rare that people get a second chance i mean you know you look at someone like nicholas dalby who got a second shot at the ufc uh, that's rare it, it doesn't happen very often and i would say mm-hmm. to anyone you know if you can afford it if you've got the sort of backing from your family and, you know, and financially to just be able to take a couple of years and, and stay on the regional circuit and go through an organization like cage warriors or you know go through an organization organization like lfa or, or someone uh, if you're in the us or, or wherever you are Take that development time, you know, just because guys are getting into the UFC at 22 years old and a 6-0 record doesn't mean that works for everyone. might work for some, but you need those tough fights. And that's what you're going to get on Cage Warriors. You're going to get the right fight at the right time. How important was it for Cage Warriors, do you think, for them to establish the Cage Warriors Academy? Obviously, when they took over that, uh, I think it was uh, Shinobi fighting championships before that, was it? Uh, do you think that was crucial to its growth? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, back then there was there was a lot of different plans for the Cage Warriors Academy. So you had Shinobi in the northwest. Um, southeast, you had BC MMA, uh, Pain Pit MMA in Wales, which is now the Wales Academy run by Richard Shaw. Um, and the, originally the plan was for them to be everywhere. There was going to be like one in London, uh, one in Manchester, and then, you know, Ireland, Scotland. There was one in Scandinavia. Um, and I think the plan was to sort of have academy shows and then the main Cage Warriors show on afterwards. Um, right. But obviously, that you know, that, that, that ended up not having, happening. But the academy shows have kind of stuck around. 
and I know, you know this is what we're talking about. You know, with all the goodwill in the world, Cage Warriors can't have 15 amateur fights in every show. Like logistically, it just doesn't work. You know, we have we have a lot to do on the production side of things that needs to be done during the day before we can let people in. So, you know, we used to have a couple of amateur fights on, but, you know, it's, it's a real time drain. Um, so having those academy setups uh, has been fantastic over the years. And, you know, Shinobi was an excellent show before it became the academy. Um, you know, Paul Reed always has put on incredible shows. Same for BCMMA, you know, high level amateur stuff. And, you know, you're seeing guys who've come through that academy uh, network having success in cage warriors now, you know, Ian Gary won the amateur tournament. Um, you know, th there are guys coming through from the Southeast. There are, you know, the likes of Liam Gittins, et cetera, who, who compete on the Academy in the Northwest. Um, and, you know, it's no mistake that these guys are all really competitive. Uh, IMAP as well is doing you know, a similar kind of thing. You look at guys like Christian Leroy Duncan, he's got like a 16 and nine amateur record. He's in his first five pro fights. He doesn't need 30 fights in. Um, so, you know, again, like, it's great that those academy shows are there now. So people have got the option of, you know, I don't have to turn pro right away. I can have a really good fight against a really good guy at amateur in a good professional setting. And then it doesn't really matter if I win or lose because I've got the experience. Um, you know, you turn pro, everyone forgets about the amateur record anyway. Yeah, that's it. <clears throat> um, so with yourself calling so many fights over the years, um, what are your favourite moments both from FFC and Cage Warriors, uh, FCC rather? Um, I suppose my favourite um, my favorite amateur fight from FCC was Ashley Reese versus Martin Chester. Ashley's with Bellator now, um, doing really well for himself. That was, I think at the time I called it probably the best amateur fight I've ever seen. And I'd recommend anyone to go back and have a look at it. Um, it's definitely the kind of fight that they should have been getting paid a lot of money for. It's kind of sad that they did it as amateurs. And, you know, and I'm sure they, they both sold a fair few tickets. Oh, no, they made a nice few quid, but, uh, man, that's the, it's the kind of fight that, you know, you look at it and you're like, man, that's taken a couple of years off the end of the career, you know. Um, but, you know, that, that, re that really <laughs> made me realise the importance of, like, great amateur networks and stuff. And, you know, the two guys coming from really good teams, and, uh, you know, just having an absolute barnstormer. So that, that always holds like, a really fond memory for me. Um, with Cage Warriors, I've got a couple. I mean, I suppose the really easy one to say is Nathaniel Wood versus Josh Reed, which was just absolute chaos. Yeah. Um, you know, probably one of the maddest, like, short fights I've ever called. Um, I felt like I'd run an absolute marathon after doing that. I don't think I'd breathe for about three minutes. Um, so that, 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 that was awesome. Um, Joe McColgan versus Mehdi Banlakdar at the BBC, uh, not the BBC studio, sorry, the BT studios. Um, just a really unique venue. Um, you know, there was only like 100 people in the crowd, I think. Um, but it just looks sick as fuck. Like, you know, the atmosphere was incredible in there. And those two just left it all in the cage. So that, that was awesome. Um, Nicholas Dalby winning his first title with that question mark in his second world title against Alex Lahore. Uh, also in Copenhagen, that they were both big moments for me. Nick's a good friend, so seeing him succeed is, uh, you know, again, that was one of the times where you struggled to be professional because really wanted the guy to do well, but you know, you're gonna gonna keep it on the down low until the the uh, the show goes off the air. So that that, that was really cool. Um, yeah, man, there's, there's there's been so many, and like you know, this is the thing. Like you know, I I, I do get offers to commentate for other shows, but. You know, my heart's always going to be with Cage Warriors. People often say to me, like, oh, 
you know, you, you're looking forward to like, you know, getting to the UFC in the end. It's like, I, I'm not, not really. Like, obviously, you know, if the phone goes now and it's Uncle Dana, I'm going to have to think about it. But, <laughs> um, I, I'm not sat here thinking to myself, how do we get to the UFC? Like, the thing with the UFC is once you work for them, you can't work for anyone else. Yeah. And, you know, I, they've, got, they, they, they've got good commentators already. They'll always have good commentators in the UFC. But I think, you know, I can add something to the domestic scene in the UK. And I love Cage Warriors. I've got no intention of going anywhere else. Glad to hear it. I think you've you've kind of just answered our next one with that. So we were going to ask you, what does it mean to you to be such a to, to be such a big part in the company, you know, for so long? But I, I don't know. I think you might just just answer that by saying your heart. <laughs> with it, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's you know. It's it's a, it's a privilege, and you know I, I do consider it a privilege. I don't take it for granted. Um, I I have no doubt in my mind that if I started phoning it in and I wasn't up to standard, they would replace me, and they'd be absolutely right to do that. But that's that's, that's why I love working with Cage Warriors. Um, everybody feels the same way, you know, from from the matchmaker to the guy running it, to the guy doing the press, to the guys opening the cage door and and, and doing the running jobs, like. You know, we've, we're all we're all a team. We're all in it together. Like, you know, I I, I used to turn up to the Wayans and, and help them pack the scales away. Like, you know, everyone mucks in. Everyone everyone gets into it, and we're all working towards the same goal. Um, you know, I, I used to sit as a kid and watch wrestling and think, oh man, it'd be cool to do that one day. And I'm doing it now. So, you know, like I say, don't take it for granted. Um, and you know, I, I respect the institution. I respect the fighters. And I want to do them justice because, you know, at the end of the day, look, not everyone's going to get to the UFC. Not everyone's going to be the world champion. Only a very, very small number of people will. So these videos of their fights, this is their legacy. That's what they're going to show the kids and their grandkids. And I want them to have something good, like a good product, something that sounds professional, something that doesn't sound like, you know, it's a, a few lads in a sports hall just having a bit of a laugh. Yeah. Um, before we go on to the next one, can I just ask like, what the process of a commentator is? Because obviously, I'm assuming you got to do a lot of research. Can you just go into that a bit? Um, so I I don't do a lot of research. Um, I've got a um, I've got a, I've got a weird memory for fights. Um, I, I, I suppose with a lot of the guys in Cage Warriors. I've called a lot of their fights in the regional scene. So I've known them for a long time. I've seen a lot of the fights, called a lot of the fights. And I've obviously called all the fights in Cage Warriors. So I've kind of got, I've got all that in the head anyway. Um, I have started doing a, a bit more research since, uh, since Josh Palmer moved to America because he used to do loads of stats and stuff. So I do do bits of that now. Um, and obviously it's kind of, you don't want to overload yourself. Mm. So you, for me, me personally, I don't want a giant sheet of A4 with hundreds of numbers on it in front of me because I've got to watch the fight in the cage. I've got to look down at the monitor. I've got two guys sat next to me. I've got to make sure I'm not talking over them. I've got to look at them to see when they stop talking or when I can bring them in. I've got a producer in one ear and a director in the other ear. So I don't want to be sat staring at and going, is he 6-0 or 6-1? That, that, you know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think the, the, the best thing to do, you're going to have to have some notes on your screen. You know, you're not going to remember everyone's exact record and how many 
they've got by submission in the first round. So it's good to have those like those certain things blocked out, color coded, nice and big in front of you. Um, you know, I've, I've got um, John Gooden did a great video a couple of years ago on uh, his note taking process. Um, so I've you know I've got like a, I've got a tablet with one of those like digital pens where you can just highlight something and it sends it straight to a notepad. Um, yeah. We also have a uh, we get like a stat pack basically. Um, the UFC do them. All all big promotions do them. Um, and they're sent to like everyone in production, so everyone kind of knows who's who, and you know things that have to go on like the tail of the tape, etc. So everyone's reading from the same hymn sheet. So I often have that up in, in front of me as well. I might take a quick peek at it, but generally, like with the main cards where we've got to do you know talking between fights and things like that, I sort of know what I'm going to say and what questions I'm, I'm going to ask beforehand. Um, and, you know, really, like, the only sort of, like, in-depth research that I do is if it's someone that we've never had on Cage Warriors before mm. um, and I've not seen many of their fights, I'll get Fight Pass up or I'll go on YouTube and I'll just watch stuff. So just so I can learn how to fight, you know, if you, if you learn how people fight, you know what to look for, you can tell people what to look for. You know, if you, if you know that a guy always counters, uh, you know, whatever, a left hook with a right low kick or something, you know, you can tell people to look out for it, then you sound dead smart. So, win <laughs> <clears throat> um, so obviously Cage Warriors has got a well-known fantastic track record of sending fighters over to the UFC I think it's over 120 now is it or not far off that um, quite a few yeah Yeah. so obviously one of the more recent ones and one of the bigger names is uh, Paddy the Baddy uh, had a great debut against Luigi Vendramini uh, what did you make of his performance and how much does someone with that big of a draw already help cage warriors going forward i think you know if you look at like the biggest names that have gone from cage warriors to the ufc you know the likes of, of dan hardy and then you know the conor mcgregor era, era and not that sort of era of all those irish guys going through and and paddy's kind of like, like the next like really big name that, that's gone through it's great for cage warriors because they're so visible and you know especially someone like paddy who you know a lot a lot of fighters are going to be like well, I can beat that guy. It's like, oh, cool. So come to Cage Warriors, win the belt, go to the UFC and, tr and try and beat him. Um, but, you know, that, that must be, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're a fighter and you're out there seeing Paddy making all this money and getting all this attention, that must be great because you know then that if, if you think you're better than that guy, there's no reason you can't do it too. So, you know, C Cage Warriors obviously benefited hugely from, having that, you know, roster of guys that have gone on, you know, it's, it's great when you've got Dan Hardy at cage side, multiple time cage warriors champion, fought for the UFC title against the best in the world. And he sat there saying, yeah, you know, this is where I started. This is what I did. If you can do what I did, you can do it too. Um, so, you know, it's not, it's not just the fighters that benefit. Obviously cage warriors benefits too. Um, you know, the, the, the better guys like Paddy do and Connor and everyone else, you know, the better it makes cage warriors look and the more, the more appealing, um, prospect it is for, for young guys to come in to you know i don't think it's you know it's no big secret that you know you've got like bellator coming over and, and paying huge huge amounts of money um you know that the european scene just, just can't compete with um which is fine i'd never uh, knock anyone for you know going and taking a big fat bag of cash but like i said if you want to get to the ufc this is the way to do it yeah and um, for you then would sort of that in mind, is is Cage Warriors the best place to be in MMA outside of the UFC? 
think, you know, it, it all depends on the individual. Mm. You know, I, I think for a lot of people, um, you know, like, so say, for example, when Bellator, like, first sort of made that big commitment to Europe and, and started signing uh, a lot of guys for, for, for really good money, I think a lot of people were in sort of places in their careers where they were like, well, you know, I might not be getting to the UFC now, or, you know, I'm, I might get to the UFC and kind of earn the same sort of money I'm earning now, and then, you know, may, maybe not have a massive run, and then I'm out of the UFC and Bellator aren't really interested. So I think, you know, if, if you're at a stage in your career where, you know, you just want to have big fights and get, you know, a few big purses behind you, get some money to invest and, and retire, then then there's options out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bellator's obviously one of them. Um, you know, I know KSW pay good money over in Poland. Um, and obviously, you know, if you can get in with like one FC or, or Brave, um, you know, there's plenty of different options depending on what you want to do. And that's always good. Um, options, options are great for fighters. You know, the last thing you want is, you know, just one place. You don't want a monopoly um, at any level, whether that's regional level or, or international level. Um, so, you know, for, for me, yeah, I think Cage Warriors is the best place in Europe. And uh, any young prospect who's got designs on making it to the top, I would absolutely say join Cage Warriors. At the same time, I, I understand why for some people it might not be the right decision. But, you know, look, there's plenty of fighters out there. There's plenty of fights out there, plenty of organisations out there. Uh, the scene's thriving. So there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think MMA, in terms of options right now, is probably in the best place it's, it's been in ever, possibly. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, um, both in in terms of like you know the kind of cage warriors, KSW, one FC level. Um, you, you know, th- there are guys obviously who you know many years ago they would have kind of dropped out of the UFC and you know maybe had to take ridiculous pay cuts or, or maybe even retire. But you know, we're seeing guys now they they've had you know ten fights in the UFC. They've got the option when their contracts coming up to say, well, actually. Actually, I'm going to see what Bellator are going to offer or I'm going to see what the PFL are going to offer. Um, you know, and I think especially at that level, that's where you really don't want them enough. You really want options there because that, that means that the UFC have to start paying more and Bellator have to start paying more and PFL have to start paying more. Uh, and then everyone wins. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you probably touched on this in a couple of your answers already, but how, how proud are you of the legacy that Cage Warriors is creating right now? Yeah, re- really proud. You know, it's um, it, it's so it's awesome for me to like. You know, I've done. You know, everything's been a bit uh, been a bit crazy these past couple of years, and there's nothing I love more than than actually having a weekend where I've not got to go away anywhere, and I can sit down, get a few cans on the go, and watch the UFC. And then when I'm seeing like Molly McCann and Paddy and and, and various other people whose fights I've commentated, you know, since they were amateurs in some cases, uh, seeing them succeed, seeing them make money, seeing them like live in the dream. It is awesome. Uh, and, you know, Cage Warriors has obviously been a big part of that for, for a lot of people. And I believe it will continue to be a big part of that for, for a lot of people going forward. Um, you know, I, like I've said earlier on, everyone at Cage Warriors, you know, is putting their heart into it. Um, everyone wants to see people succeed here develop the skills necessary to get to that next level and then go on and take on the world. And, you know, I, I've kind of, I've been around other promotions in the past and, you know, they've had like talent poached by the UFC or, or whoever 
else and there's been like a real atmosphere of bitterness about it you know oh yeah they're taking all our stars you know at, at cage warriors events you know, we, we've been there like when we've been away on, on a fight week and there's been a, a ufc on the day before or something or the other or the, you know we, we've, we've had it on in the bar afterwards and everyone's just gathering around watching the tv and, and cheering the cage warriors guys on it's awesome it's such it's such a good atmosphere and um you know we're, we're all super proud of, of cage warriors legacy yeah <clears throat> so moving forward then double troubles coming up 10th and 11th December uh, it may be I don't know but one positive for you is you get to have a night off is is that a positive for you <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not too sure <laughs> I you, you know it, it, it's weird like as, when they when they announced they were going to do these trilogies everyone was like oh this is sick three shows in three days and then, like the second day, and you're like, "Oh man!" Like, oh, God, I'm bed. like, especially because like they started doing the Saturday show really early. Mm-hmm. So like we we we're all obviously like we're in like a, a bubble. So we we're in the arena until a coach comes to pick us up, and then like like depending on where the hotel is. Because bear in mind, we had to get hotels that could close off an entire floor to us. So it's not like we could get a hotel ten minutes down the road. We were like halfway across London. So you're in a coach back for like an hour. You're getting back to the hotel at like 12, one o'clock. Then you're having to get food. And then you're up and on, on the coach again at 11 o'clock in the morning. So it's, it's really non-stop. Stop. And like just little things like not windows that don't open because it's, you know, you're on like the 10th floor or whatever. Um, you just get a bit stir crazy. Um, but, you know, by, by the same note, it, you know, it was good fun being in those bubbles with everyone. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be cool going back to, well, eventually going back to just doing one, um, because <laughs> it does, uh, it kind of grates on the old voice af- after a while. Um, but it's, I think it's nice that they've gone from the, from the trilogies to double trouble. So they're kind of like weaning us off sort of yeah. thing. It's like, I'm calling this show like the methadone of cage warriors. Like we're not going cold Turkey. We're just, <laughs> we're just taking it one step ahead. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> So, can you talk about some fights on on those cards then that you're, you know, mostly excited for? You know, there's there's a lot that's been announced recently. So, yeah, I've got my little spreadsheet up. Uh, <laughs> um, on my screen now, so I've got the ones that are in green on my spreadsheet, the ones that can come out. Uh, so yeah, looking at uh, looking at Friday's card, obviously, uh, Old Ben Elliott's back again. Um, you know, he had a great comeback fight last time. Uh, scored a you know a highlight real knockout against a really good opponent, and he's taken a huge step up against Madus Laminas. You know Madus eight and three, Oban's only four and one. Um, so you know that that really speaks to the kind of guy Oban is. He wants to get in there with the toughest guys. Um, you know he's going to either win or he's going to go out on the shield against the best opponent you can find. And you know Madus is really really awkward. You know his, his stand up is and his movement is so odd. He's good on the ground as well. So, you know, I think with a win here, Oban's, you know, really putting himself, you know, up at the sort of top end of that cage warriors welterweight division. Um, Mehdi Ben Ladar and George Hardwick, like the Hardwicks have kind of crashed onto the scene towards the end of the trilogy era. Um, both had a real trial by fire. Uh, you know, they've come in against high level guys, former champions, both brothers. Um, Harry's obviously not fine on this trilogy, but I know he's heavily involved in George's preparations. Yeah. Um, and you know, Mehdi Ben Lakdar for me, you know, I know he's only five on one, but high, high level guy. He's got a lot of um, 
he's got a lot of boxing experience that people don't know about. And he says he tries very hard to keep all the videos off YouTube because he don't <laughs> want people to see how good he is. Um, so that, that should be sick. Obviously, uh, Matt Bonner making the first defence of his title. You know, for me, the Matt Bonner thing was uh, one of the best storylines of the entire trilogy. Um, you know, you think um, before the trilogy series, he, he lost, I think, in, uh, in 2020, he lost his first fight. And he was sat there with a record of five, six and one. Mm. And you've got to be thinking at that stage, like, you know, what, what's next? Where do I go from here? Where, where do I fit in? Um, you know, especially when, you know, Cage Warriors are always bringing guys in and, you know, you've got a champion in the tires. Frederick, I believe at the time, who was, you know, just an absolute marauder. And, you know, he just turned everything around and, and went on this crazy run, um, you know, beating a legend like Matt Inman, beating a former champ and James Webb, and then taking the title off Matthias, uh, who was looking untouchable in, in a wild fight. So, you know, Matt's again one of these guys I was calling his fights amateur. Um, him and his twin brother once fought in consecutive fights amateur on FCC. It was so confusing. Um, <laughs> They both had the exact same haircut, the exact same beard, <laughs> the exact same shots. Um, yeah, it was it was really. I used to really annoy them, but I used to always suggest that like, they were switching each other out between rounds. Um, <laughs> I got told to stop doing that. So yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah no, that's that, that's that's the main card for Friday. Um, and if you want a reason to get there early on the prelim, Jean and Doy versus Tom Mins, uh, that should be sick. You know, Tom's a guy who's you know he struggled to find the wins on Cage Warriors, but. Um, he's recently picked up a win on the Cage Warriors Academy uh, Southeast, and he's coming back to take on John, who's one of my favourite fighters over the, over the past ten years at Cage Warriors. So that main card wise on the on the Saturday, it's that rematch right between Luke Shanks and mm. uh, and Sam Creasy. Uh, I'm sure you guys saw what happened in the first fight. There was sort of a bit of controversy over. Uh, a tap and the, the referee didn't see it and the, the fight continued. Uh, obviously, Sam, you know, ended up, you know, he's had two title fights before and lost both in the third round. He won one in the third round this time. So that was a great little story. But, um, you know, he's obviously given Luke another chance. Um, so it's, it's a big opportunity for Luke because remember as well that Luke missed weight for their original fight. Um, you know, usually when a guy misses weight and, and, and loses, he's, he's not going to get an immediate rematch regardless. Um, you know, and I think originally Cage Warriors were thinking, you know, maybe he moves up to bantamweight now. But obviously, with that bit of controversy, uh, we want these guys to have a fair shot at things. And Sam's been a great sportsman, and, and I'll add the rematch. So I'm expecting both of these guys to bring it. Um, Don Wooding as well. I don't think his his match has been released yet, but I know Cage Warriors are looking to get him on that Saturday card as well. So always good to see the Black Panther in there. Great value for money. Yeah, absolutely. It's a stacked card, both day, both nights, and one one not to be missed for certain. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned obviously Matt uh, Matt Bonner. Uh, we've had him on a couple of times, and he's he's spoke himself very openly about how before he went to next gen, um, he was a very sort of up and down fighter. I think he put it, you know, he'd win one and then he'd lose a couple, or the other way around, and. He never really had the stability. He's got that. Daddy's got it next gen now. Um, so yeah, it was real feel good story for him to eventually get to the belt and and win it because uh, it was a really really competitive fight from what I remember of it. Um, I think Natias controlled a lot of it and Matt just sort of took it and wore him down. It was a great fight. It was a great moment. Um, and yeah, it'd be great to see him in there again. 
Uh, how how do you expect them to get on? He's obviously got a tough opponent. Yeah, so um, his opponent is really good. Um, you know, um, you know, he he was a prospect and saying a lot of good things about him. Um, look, the the issue that he's had is he has fought very very little. Um, obviously, it was very difficult to get MMA fights in France. Um, I know he had some issues with injuries and obviously the whole lockdown thing as well. Um, you know, he's fought a handful of times in like the last five years. Um, one thing I was going to think is really going to play heavily into Matt's favour here is how active he's been over this trilogy series, uh, the series of opponents that he's gone into face and the fact that now as well, he won the title and he's had a few months off to kind of get out of that constant cycle of fight camp, fight camp, fight camp. So I think we're going to be seeing the absolute best Matt Bonner that we've seen so far when uh, what when uh, he defends his title for the first time. And I think, you know, you're going to look for Matt to want to drag it into deep waters again. You know, he's never been finished. Uh, amateur or professional, I believe. And, and he's had a lot of fights across uh, across both disciplines. So to get him out of there is a tough thing. Um, and I think, you know, we saw in the, in the Tice fight, as the fight wore on, the Tice was just getting a little bit more frustrated that he couldn't put Matt away. Because normally, like, when the Tice hits you, that's, you know, you yeah. stay hit, right? Yeah, lights out. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, he's doing, he's doing serious damage. If he's not putting you out, he's hurting you. And uh, I think he was kind of getting frustrated that he wasn't able to do that to Matt. And then obviously... You know, you get frustrated, you get desperate, you start making moves and making mistakes that you would normally make. And that's when Matt was able to capitalise. So, you know, I would think for a guy who's um, not been fighting as regularly as his opponent, that guy's going to want to come in and, and try and finish Matt as quickly as possible. Um, and I think if he can't do that early, he's going to be in for a long night. Yeah. And you you mentioned earlier I was about Hardwick and Ben McDarr fighting for the vacant title. Do we know what happened to McColgan? Yeah, so um sorry I'm supporting myself some more. I've had the uh, uh, I've had the uh, really bad cold all week so my voice is in bits. Um yeah so Joe um has had a lot of family stuff going on and, and personal stuff. Um I know he's I think he got a new house last year and he's had a lot of stuff to do with the house and a lot of stuff at work. And basically, he's just not been able to uh, train to the level that he wants. You know, he's helping his teammates prepare for fights, and that's really all he's got time to do. Um, I spoke to him a few days ago. Uh, yeah, so just just to pick up from, uh, from where we left off there, Joe did want to originally vacate the title um, before the last trilogy, but Cage Warriors had sort of said, look, you know, just, just hang in there, see if anything changes um, with, with, you know, with your training situation. Unfortunately, it didn't. So, you know, Joe's looking to come back April or May next year. And when he does, he's going to be immediately first in line for, uh, for a title shot. You know, I think that's cool, you know, because a lot of people would have maybe said, oh, I'll do an interim title, but Joe wanted the division to move on. So, you know, it, it, gets, it gives Mehdi or, or uh, George the chance to be crowned Cage Warriors world champion. And they get the unenviable prospect of uh, fighting Sean McColgan when they come back. Yes, yeah. it's nice that he's he's done that and allowed the division to to carry on. You know, it's a good move. Yeah, it's refreshing to see if they can get something we've mentioned on here a few times that we're not 
huge fans of interim titles. We'd rather fight to just be for a, a number one contender or be for the main belt. There's no reason really to introduce an interim belt. So it's nice to see that he's doing that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Joe's uh, Joe's a good guy. You know, he's a real fighter. Fighter, so it didn't surprise me at all when, uh, when I heard that. And look, uh, that fight with Medi was one of the best Cage's fights of all time. So brilliant. Or if you know, if it's George who's who's going to go to Ireland and fight Joe, then you know that's that's great as well. Either one of those is going to be a great fight. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Um, <clears throat> so. Moving on, is there any any fighters you can name that people should keep their eyes on who you think will eventually be making that move to the UFC? Um, I think two of the most you know, it's probably me taking a bit, but you like brothers. Um, I know the UFC have got both of them on the radar already. Um, I think, you know, you're potentially looking at both of them being in a position to fight for a Cage Warriors title by the end of next year. Um, and I think they've both got the talent, you know, mm. they're 6-0 uh, they're and oh and 6-1 and one respectively. And, uh, um, you know, Matt's only losses to Ian Gary and, you know, that, there's certainly no shame in that. So I definitely keep an eye on those. I keep an eye on Hardwicks. Um, I think uh, Gerardo Fani as well in the, in the flyweight or bantamweight division, whatever he decides to settle on. Um, you know, he's come, come back really well from that loss to Jack Cartwright and he's been stopping people. Um, so I think he's, he's definitely one to keep an eye on as well. Um, Will Curry, Christian Leroy Duncan. Um, and look, there's a whole host of guys coming through now who are just in the, the kind of first couple of the Cage Warriors fights. Guys like Scott Pedersen, guys like Manny Akpan, um, guys like Liam Malloy. You know, I'm just kind of, kind of thinking of guys we've had on the, the last couple of trilogies who've really Im- impressed. Scott Pedersen, uh, another guy with a big amateur background who's looked really good in his first few fights. Um, th- this is, you know, look, obviously I'm a, I'm a company guy, but this is what I love about Cage Warriors is you, know, you get to see the real high-level stuff at the top of the card. But if you watch the first couple of prelims, two, three years down the line, they're going to be the guys who are in the main events. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's good stuff from top to bottom. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, so... Last couple of questions now, so I'm going to have a little bit of fun with these ones. Um, so if you could bring any fighter in the world into the Cage Warriors octagon, who would it be and why? Oh, man, that's tough. Um, I would kind of... Man, that's a, that's a really tough question. I probably wasn't <laughs> expecting that, and you kind of caught me off guard here. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a fan of, like, really... Sh- so like i probably have like um i, I, I am a fan of like the on freak show things um you know he's fought in cage warriors a couple of times i believe he's still with bellator at the moment uh i think him versus medi ben lakdar at lightweight would be an absolutely sick fight obviously medi's got that crazy boxing background tim's got um, a really high level like kickboxing taekwondo uh, background, so I think they'd make for a great fight. Um, so if if I could like go and sign anyone from Europe, uh, for me personally, it'd probably be Tim to to fight Medi or George, whoever wins the uh, the lightweight title. Um, <clears throat> last one then. So this is sort of open ended one. I guess it's 
how you how you may interpret best. But um, so with this one, you can't say McGregor. But in your opinion, who's the best fighter to come from Cage Warriors? Not they may still be even in the organization, but for you, who's the best? Um. And there's been so many good ones over the years. Um, you know, I think uh, Dan Hardy has to be in that conversation. Mm. Um, what he did prior to getting to the UFC, um, you know, fighting in Europe and, and all around the world uh, was phenomenal. And to go five rounds with the greatest of all time, not get finished, despite being put in some absolutely disgusting positions. Um, you know, that says a lot. You know, Dan's a, Dan's a real fighter's fighter. And I think in terms of, you know, Pure, pure talent and ability. He's, he's got to be up there um, in that conversation. Um, I think Ian Gary is probably one of the most exciting prospects I've ever seen. Mm. Um, so, you know, from someone from kind of like this generation of guys, um, you know, he, he had a bit of a rude awakening in that UFC debut. But when you just look at the raw ability that someone's got compared to other guys of the same age and the same stage of their careers, he's clearly something special. Um, so I, I think, you know, who, who, who's to say, because you see so many guys and you think they're going to smash it and they don't, or you see guys who think, oh, maybe they're not going to do so well. And then they end up having really, really long careers. So who's to say, but I think, you know, if you look talking in terms of like raw potential, Ian Gary is just, you know, he's, he's got it coming out of both ears, man. The guy's, the guy's incredible. Yeah. Definitely. And um, <clears throat> one thing that I did want to ask off that, you, what you just said in regards to Hardy, obviously now you get to sit beside him and his analytical mind is something else. Like, I was that having him on the desk and adding his takes and that. Sorry, I didn't catch that, man. Did you catch that? No, so I was saying, obviously, now you have Dan Hardy sitting with you on the desk and his analytical mind is, is something else when it comes to MMA. How is that having him on the desk with you and listening to his takes and stuff? It's great. You know, like we are, we all meet up in the hotel before the event and we talk and then we all sit on the bus and we talk and then I get to talk to him all night as well. Mark Goddard, um, you know, the, the, the other kind of people around Cage Warriors, there's, the conversation is always top quality. Um <laughs> Working with a guy like Dan makes my job so much easier because I can just kind of ask him questions and, and let him go. And the guy's an absolute encyclopedia. Mm. Um, and, you know, again, it's one of the reasons why I love Cage Warriors. Like every, everyone there is there for a reason. They're there because they're very, very good at what they do. So listening to the likes of Dan Strauss break down grappling and, and, and then and Dan doing like the striking and MMA side of things. What's really cool is like, watching Dan Hardy geek out at Dan Strauss breaking down grappling and you know, the, the respect that those guys have for yeah. like the different areas of expertise that, that they bring to it. You know um, I, I think, you know, I think we work, we work together, we work together really well as a team. We gelled really quickly as a team uh, and it's just a privilege to, to, you know, work alongside guys like that who are just experts in their field and, you know, it brings out the best in me as well. Definitely. You all do an incredible job. I mean, as you say, everyone has a part to play in Cage Warriors just is amazing because of it. So each member of the team, it's brilliant. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> well, Brad, look, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you today. Really appreciate you taking the time 
to talk with us today. Um, I say it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, best of luck for yourself. Hope the uh, upcoming double trouble goes well for you and all the cage warriors. And um, again, just thanks very much, and wish you all the best. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, um, we'll have to do it again sometime when uh, when we're having us on. And uh, yeah, enjoy the fight. Pleasure, Take care, mate. Thank you. Were super necessary. Just...